The election of Donald Trump has led to quite a bit of soul-searching among people on the opposite side of the political spectrum, including many in social business. A few days after the election, Jonathan Lewis, a serial social entrepreneur and tireless advocate for the sector, sent out a heartfelt email to his extensive following. In it, he criticized the social business movement for ignoring or downplaying the importance of government. The marketplace alone, he wrote, cannot lead us to the promised land. We spoke with Lewis about his views on how social business should respond to the age of Trump in this frank interview. As you might imagine, there's a bit of strong language, so listener discretion is advised. Well, uh, I wanted to thank you, uh, Jonathan, for joining us in this podcast today. It's a real honor to to, uh, talk with you. We followed your work for many years on Next Billion, and you're doing great things, so thank you. My pleasure. This is a a real honor. I'm a regular reader and subscriber, and I source a lot of my thinking from Next Billion, so it's a pleasure. Well, thank you. Well, uh, I have to say, after the election, it was a tough morning for many of us, Um, and I read your email, and... uh, I have to say, it kind of drove me a little bit closer to despair than to hope. <laughs> um, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> that's okay. I was on the borderline of despair anyway. So uh, just a quote from that email. Uh, you said briefly, a know-nothing, racist, sexist, nativist, science denier, and bigot uh, will govern our nation for the next four years. There is no silver lining. Uh, and uh, you went on to say that this week's Our Social Entrepreneurship Seems Small which uh, caught my eye, Uh, then you continued to say that uh, social entrepreneurs who define their work narrowly have lost their way. Your point being that government, public policy, politics needs our attention because the impact of what Trump or or another government uh, administration could do uh, so greatly outweighs the, the positive impact that social enterprise can make around the margins. So I wanted I wanted to see if you could, if uh, you still feel that way I guess as as passions have faded a little bit in the weeks since the election and if so um, what the way forward is for social enterprise. Uh huh. Well, let me start by saying um, my passion has not faded. I I'm exceptionally upset in a deep uh, both intellectual and emotional way about the election of Trump. Uh, I think there's a lot of misconceptions about brought about his election, and we could get into that later. I, I don't think it, let me just say briefly, I don't think it's the, the country lurching to the right, which was, I think, a number of people's first reaction. Um, so that said, I still think it's a terrible thing. Um, millions of Americans disregarded um, his misogyny, his racism, his bigotry, the fact he's essentially unqualified for the job uneducated in big and small ways, a liar, and surrounded by ethics challenges um, of his own making. And they disregarded all that, uh, basically, uh, and voted for him anyway, and that's very troubling. Um, It suggests there's not a common understanding of what our national identity is and what holds us together as a community of 300 million people. That on the table, the reason I wrote my piece was and I, um, was to say to all of us who work every day in the field of social entrepreneurship that for some very long time, we've been smug and remiss in not paying closer attention to government policy because social entrepreneurship has its um, aesthetic roots, it, its heritage. Uh, in the world of business comes out, I mean, the word entrepreneur comes out of the field of business, but more importantly, 
it's where a lot of the funding is. It's where a lot of the attraction is. We're always talking about risk-taking and using venture capital models and uh, market returns and realizing, you know, sustainability to us generally means self-financing, profitable enterprises, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we've had sort of a, a, a skin graft re- rejection about the role of government. Um, and we've either seen it as the enemy or we've just ignored it. And I think, and I've felt that way for quite some time. Uh, so this election of Trump was in a way just confirming for me that, uh, because it was a wake-up call. Um, the simple fact of the matter is government is scale. It reaches everybody. It reaches everybody in a clumsy and awkward way sometimes, but it is the way to, to public policy is the way we unify ourselves as a as a community whether it's at the neighborhood level or at the international global level um and to the extent that all of us are doing this work what i meant when i said it made us feel small it has to be troubling to us that we may have um, a microfinance program reaching literally hundreds of thousands of people um a, a trump presidency that that uh, messes up the economies of countries in the developing world because he's hell-bent to create, you know, uh, really tough trade regimes, uh, will set those, the, the, all of those hundreds of people, uh, hundreds of thousands of people back uh, years, and our small contribution to their economic opportunity will be wiped out. Um, women's reproductive rights. Um you know, on and on and on. You pick the you pick you pick an issue, and a stroke of a pen and executive order at the White House can can be enormously damaging, and I think will be. So um, I think social entrepreneurs have to do some soul searching about how they what the levers of power are in our society, and it's just not only the marketplace. Well, what would that mean? I guess I mean for a social entrepreneur who's I mean his his or her job is is to to make the business work, right? Um, what what can what can they really do as individuals or even as as a community to to change government policy if the populace votes into power these these types of leaders? Well, I think that's a, that's a really important question, and in my mind, within a few weeks of this election, this is a place where I'm still on a search myself. So. I don't come to this conversation with answers. But I can tell you this, the answer does not start with a um, self-imposed barrier between those of us who operate in the social entrepreneurship world and what's going on in the circles of government. And the simple fact is you can go endlessly to public or conferences of social entrepreneurs and rarely is government invited rarely is uh, government on the program i'm not saying never but it is not the norm and when it is it's usually in the context of it being kind of an exception to the rule right so if there we we the, the whole political year that we just went through um for the for in large measure Uh, The conversations were uh, built around politics is ugly. I don't want to get my hands dirty. Of course, I'm a good citizen. I'll vote. 
but that's not where my interests lie. So it's it's a fundamental it's a it's a Rubicon question for us. If we are on the side of justice, if we are on the side of the communities we say we serve, if we're on the side of the consumers at the base of uh, the pyramid, if that's our agenda, then we have to look at all the ways we can affect and improve um, communities and people's lives. And I will tell you that the communities that will be hurt the most by a Trump administration know this all too well already because they are already without a vote, without a voice, without uh, access to the levers of government. And they know what pain and pressure and um, difficulties that creates in their communities. And when we talk about um, every uh, communities having their own voice and the phrase empowerment and all and agency, those kinds of questions, that's what we're talking about. Well, we need to have it for ourselves too. We need to we need to, to be involved. Now, how that plays out in the next few years to be determined because I don't I'm still collecting my own <laughs> licking my own wounds and thinking this through. But I don't think we can start out with an attitude of, oh, I only need to run my business and my social enterprise and that's good enough. Because it's not good enough. That's just a, an eyelash away from, um, you know, Friedman's idea of the business of business is, being, is doing business or that General Motors idea. You know, that's not good enough. We need to have a wider lens. We're asking multinational corporations to take a wider definition of what it means to be a corporate citizen, not just profits, but also people and planet. We also need to say our role as social entrepreneurs is not just um, creating sustainable businesses that serve uh, communities in an environmentally and ethical way, but it is also figuring out how we can be the laboratory for more progressive, more thoughtful, more um, community-minded government policy. Well, we are citizens too. Social entrepreneurs are citizens too. Well, that, that's interesting, and it raises a question that I've heard discussed at, at different conferences and, and uh, other forums, which is, I mean, for example, Trump is likely to bring into uh, um, government policies that include lower regulations and lower taxes for, for businesses, including social enterprises. So, I mean, is there an argument to be made that his administration is likely to benefit social enterprise on a business level? which some people might argue would allow them to make a greater impact through their business because they've got more money to invest in it, more free, freedom to, you know, uh, to engage in their business practices without regulatory concerns. Uh, let me just say, I find the whole line of argumentation to be complete bullshit. <laughs> I mean, plain and simple. That, that, is, that is making up a fiction of, that ignores the... Uh, the world of hurt that's going to occur to the communities and the and the planet that 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 a social entrepreneur is supposed to hold close and dear to their heart and their principles. And if the notion is that uh, repealing a few regulations will make a couple of my social enterprises uh, my uh, a little bit more profitable and reduce my tax burden and all of those things. And that somehow or another, that's the silver lining. Well, people are 
being deported or pipelines are being built or climate change is getting worse and uh, women don't have access to reproductive rights and, uh, you know, Muslims are being profiled and God knows what other outrages we are going to be uh, confronting over the next years. Um, I just think that's ridiculous. By the same token, I mean, if that's the logic, then we should have social entrepreneurs standing up and saying, you know, I've got some great ideas on how to improve, you know, my profit margin. I'm going to open up, you know, uh, um, I'm going to hire people to rob banks for me, and I'm going to increase interest rates for poor people on my uh, microfinance loans, and why not fund a a chain of houses of prostitution, and what the hell? Every, I mean, it's not about the amount of money social entrepreneurs make. It's the, the question is the amount of um, social benefit that we are able to deliver. And we, if we intend to be pioneers in the, in the field of um, social and economic and racial and environmental justice, then we have to own that responsibility. We can't just pick and choose the fights that, that, that uh, you know, when, when it's convenient or profitable for us. That's true, but they're also business people, right? I mean, the people who, who start a social business aren't, are, are making the conscious decision not to start a charity or a nonprofit, right? So, I mean, you, you mentioned microfinance. I mean, some people would say that uh, a lot of people within microcredit, for, for example, have focused and continue to focus too much on, on the, the bottom line. I mean, and they might argue, you know, in, in response that the reason they are doing that is because they want to run an efficient business so that they can increase the number of people that get loans. I mean, I, I'm not sure if there's... Listen, I, I, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I really, I, I, I just, my head is exploding. <laughs> Let's just take a case, a, a simple case. I have a social enterprise. I'm finding recycled uh, materials, old oil, or th- things that people are throwing away, terrible landfill problem, and I found a way to, using you know, new technologies to profitably recycle that period, uh, material, saving the environment, saving uh, uh, all kinds of benefits, and I'm employing... Uh, uh, some people, let's even take it a step further, and I'm employing people who arguably are very tough to unemploy, uh, people with a, uh, uh, who've been incarcerated or uh, have a disability or something. So it's a wonderful little enterprise, right? I have 50, 100, 500, 1,000 employees, and I'm doing great stuff. There is no trade-off here between a Trump administration that is a science-denying administration and its efforts and what will turn out to be a real setback in, or at least the slowing down of our efforts to save uh, the climate uh, issue and uh, preserve pristine lands and so forth and so on. And the few benefits that I might get from the Trump administration in terms of lower taxes and a few less regulations. I mean, it, 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 the teeter-totter doesn't even come close to balancing out. And I think that a social entrepreneur who makes that case is in the wrong line of business. Well, I wonder, I mean, what would you say to a, a person who's considering going into social business in this day and age? Um, are they better off going into politics and just forgetting about it? I mean, are they better off focusing on shifting public policy because government, as you mentioned, is scale? I mean, is there even any point in trying to work around the margins in social business when government's impact is, is so much greater? 
first of all, I don't think it's either or. That's why I said a social entrepreneur is a citizen too. You, I, it, it, I think it, we start from the logic path is is um, has to start in a different point. So if you're, let's just pick a stereotype for a minute. You're coming out of college with a bachelor's or a master's or something. You have certain aptitudes, right? I mean, maybe your aptitude is running business. Maybe it's not running for office. Well, you have to do what you're good at, first of all. And then in whatever field you're in, you have to do it ethically and with the public purpose foremost in your mind. If, if that's the kind of human being you want to be, if that's the, the life you want to lead. But you, as you do these things, you're mindful of both. So if you're developing a social enterprise, you have to ask yourself what the limits of that enterprise are. And if it's appropriate for you to, in effect, think of your business as a case study or a laboratory or an R&D facility for other uh, institutions that could take it to greater scale. Maybe that means partnering with a corporation uh, with a multinational footprint, or maybe it means um, taking your idea to the halls of government and being an advocate for what you've accomplished in your business and figuring out how to spread it to other um, uh, states or other regions or, or whatever. Conversely, if you choose to run for office and you're, you've decided you're going to make a, life, uh, a full-time life in public service, you also have to be mindful of the way that business can be a productive uh, force in the world. And that includes reaching out to social enterprises and figuring out if they are overregulated or if there are financing problems or if the, um, you know, if U.S. embassies around the world can be facilitating uh, social enterprises growth or whatever. I mean, it, it, we live in a holistic, complicated world. Only universities organize information in silos. Everybody else just lives their life. And it's all one mix. What my, my, my point of the piece that I wrote was simply to, to call attention to the fact that I think we've not been very good about thinking holistically as social entrepreneurs. I don't criticize people for that because we've been struggling to get our enterprises up and, and prove the point that social enterprise will work and social entrepreneurship is a viable career. And, you know, we've been busy and I understand it. But I also know that when you, when the topic comes up, people are very dismissive. They're very quick to point out the slowness, the tedium, the bureaucracy of government, and very slow to point out their own bureaucracies and their own tedium and their, and the fact that business is efficient in allocating capital, but is not efficient in allocating fairness. And so there's just a, we're, the, the conversation's not equally weighted, is the point. And I think the Trump election should be a wake-up call to us. Well, I want to uh, follow up a little bit on, on the question of how we, as, as a social enterprise sector, define ourselves. I, I know some people are scared that the sector will become uh, politicized and... and uh, be looked upon as a uh, progressive or left-leaning movement, which, I mean, it probably is as far as the priorities that, that uh, it, it focuses on. But people, I mean, want it to go mainstream. They want it to be the default way of doing business. And to have that happen, you have to have the entire country, not just half of the you know, political spectrum involved, right? So, I mean, are you, would you advocate that social Again, enterprise... I, I think that is 
I, th- I think that is head in the sand thinking. I think it's ridiculous. Ridiculous. Go thing. to any social conference, uh, any social sector conference. It is a meeting of business people who are using the tools of the marketplace to advance a progressive agenda. You know, the people who run privatized prisons don't show up at social sector conferences. The people who, who are, you know, we don't have Tea Party members coming to our conferences. We, it, it, I think it's delusional. So just to be clear, you think it's delusional to think that social business could be mainstream encompassing both right and left? No, no. What I think is it's delusional to not think that our values are rooted in very old conservative ideas like preserving the environment and human dignity and civil liberties and economic opportunity and economic justice and all of all of that, that whole package of stuff. We almost take it for granted. We don't even talk about it at our conferences. The tools, look, what, what we have here, to put it another way, is we have basically communal, and I'm using these words not in the political sense, but just in the definitional sense, communal socialist uh, ideals, which we're advancing with capitalist individual tools. Now, I'm not saying there's intention sometime between those, but that's what that's what social entrepreneurship is. It's a it, it's what it what can I do in the in the marketplace in the private sector to create the greatest good for the, for the most people. We do not have social entrepreneur uh, enterprises that make guns. So that's, you- that's that's not what we do. So we are a values based activity. So to say that we're not political, I just think that's. I don't think it's silly. I think it's devastatingly naive. We may not want to do political things. We may not want to walk precincts or put a sign in our window or even get our ass down to vote. Obviously, a lot of people don't. Half the country didn't vote. So I'm not saying that people don't say I'm apolitical. I'm non-political. But they are. They're just voting in a different kind of way. They're they're, they're participating participating in, in a, a different kind of way. And, I, and I'll go back to what started this whole thing. The, the people who are saying that, I'll, I'll wait around for four years and see how, how much they feel that they've done or accomplished um, balanced against the, um, the backward movement or the broken moral compass of the Trump administration. Well, so you mentioned that you don't see that many Tea Party people at, at the social enterprise conferences. Is there room in the social enterprise movement for Republicans, considering that Republicans and Tea Party are pretty much you know, interchangeable at this point? Uh, I'm not sure I agree. That, I, don't, I don't know enough to agree or disagree with whether Tea Party and Republican. What is a Republican today? And you know, I mean, a huge swath of the Republican Party abandoned its principles to get— and, to get a, a Trump elected. I think that there is, that social entrepreneurship, it's not about the tools. We're, we're getting a little lost on the fact that we're excited about the tools of social entrepreneurship. That isn't what brings people to, to this work. What brings people to this work is the, the core values, the commitment to social justice, to inclusivity. 
the the tools are the balance sheets, the profit and loss things. That that doesn't that's a methodology, and so is politics. So we're just talking about which methodologies we think can get do the most good for the most people in the most effective way. So do you think it's important for social business to try to bring more um, conservative people on board to go further mainstream? And if so, what what's the best way to do that? Uh, two different questions. I don't know the best way to do that. That goes back to this question of I'm thinking this through. But I think we need to be careful not to um, cheapen that question by pretending that it's just simply a matter of us all getting together to agree that business can be a force for good. That, 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 that isn't the question. The question is, hey, what is good? What, is, what does that exactly mean? Um, and I think there can be a lot of consensus on that, but every conversation takes two people. And I don't think it's a case of social entrepreneurs sitting in a closet by themselves and um, making believe that, again, just because they are using the tools of the marketplace, that that necessarily makes them uh, allies of um, the business community and they can find common ground. Let me give you a concrete example. I do microfinance work. The thing I'm most proud of in this space is that I founded MCE Social Capital. We're now in about 30 countries. We keep, I don't know, $50, $60 million worth of microfinancing in the field at all times. And, you know, it's taken 10 years to grow to that point. But I'm very proud of it. I'm Effectively, I'm using the tools of the marketplace. I'm a lender. uh, And I'm not a legal bank. But in functional sense, I'm... I'm in the banking business, and to use the cliche, it's, you know, banking for the unbanked. All right. I'm not under any illusion that I'm an ally of Citigroup. We're not in the same business. I'm in the business of correcting Citigroup screw-ups because of, and I'm using Citigroup as a (laughs) metaphor here, uh, for large institutional banking which for years and years and years and years and years ignored the base of the pyramid and particularly women. And that was the state of play when microcredit, microfinance started getting moving. You know, it didn't take a a professor uh, in in, uh, Bangladesh to figure this out. Somebody at one of the large banks could have figured this out just as well. But they didn't have the motivation. They didn't have the values hmm. to, to think that way, to see what was in front of their face with their big footprint at all their R&D offices and all their, you know, great minds and the best and brightest going to Wall Street for years and years and years and years. They, they couldn't see what was in front of their face because they didn't want to see what was in front of their face. Well, let me try to conclude on hopefully a positive Point. Yeah. And maybe this is naive, maybe it is you know, just kind of grasping for a silver lining, but I wonder, uh, Trump won by putting together a, co- a coalition that included lots of low-income people, um, mostly white, but certainly some people of color as well. Uh, lots of um, regions of the country that uh, have been underemphasized as far as public policy goes and the attention of government goes. Is there any possibility, uh, however remote, that 
Trump may have blurred the lines between right and left and maybe redefined what Republican um, focus is to the point where it might start to include at least the people he's depending on to, to get reelected in four years, which is, you know, a lot of lower income uh, blue collar communities, which could be good and, you know, align also with a lot of what social business is doing. Well, I never say never, <laughs> you know, who knows? I, you know, the Trump phenomena is still unfolding and you, the, the, the theory you're promulgating, I suppose, could come to pass. I am beyond skeptical and dubious. <laughs> and the reason I'm saying that is I think it, I think we need to be honest if we want to have honest conversations including with our adversaries, as well as our friends. The fundamentals and the anchoring base of what of the people who elected Trump include the 10% of this country. I don't think it's beyond that. And I don't think it's any, I didn't think it got any worse, but he brought out of the dark shadows of our country, the 10% of our country that um, both educated and uneducated people. So I don't want to this isn't a question of who's gone to college and who hasn't, but brought out the 10% of our country that is um, mean-spirited, fears people of different colors, generally does not think that women belong in the workforce but belong somewhere else, I'm guessing in the kitchen and the bedroom. And I just have a hard time thinking if that's the core of this, quote, coalition that Trump has mobilized that much good will come of it in any case i think that's much more likely that some of the people who voted for trump are in for a really big rude awakening i think that when the Bush, the trump administration is anti-minimum wage and um anti um, women's reproductive rights and anti-environment and some of the causal of the, the, the resultant of this election comes to pass, I think some of that coalition is going to fall apart really fast. And, and I think it will be even more embittering. But I can't control that. I think what we should be talking about as social entrepreneurs, which is your, the audience, I think, that might hear this, maybe not, I don't know, um, is not, not worrying about that, meaning what's going to happen with the Trump administration because we are going to have very little impact on that we're that we're, we're we're like not at the table we're um you know <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna start to experience what we've had four years of of kind of uh, uh being heard and respected and now we're gonna have four years of what it feels like to be marginalized there'll be some exceptions but mostly marginalized we can't control any of that. What we can control is our own destiny, what we are doing. And that's the conversation I think we should be having. And I don't think it should start with just the throwing up our hands and saying, oh, well, as all we have to do is run our small, wonderful social enterprises, our, our organic food places and our recycling enterprises and our microfinance programs and blah, 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 and so forth. And, so on. and that's good enough. Because I don't think it's going to be good enough. And we, and we have to ask ourselves, what's our core responsibility as citizens, as human beings, to the people around us? 